Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. I'm glad to be back with you again this week. And we will be looking at Joshua today. <clears throat> How do you define success? You know, the, the world has a, a definition for success. Uh, you know, if you look around and you start asking questions and what, what do you consider success? <clears throat> NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Jr., he defined success this way. He said, second place is the first loser. So first place is successful and everything else after that, you're a loser. Uh, if you go to the dictionary, you look it up in the dictionary <clears throat> and it defines it this way. It says the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. So wealth, respect, or fame. If you get that, then you find success. Uh, Richard Branson, he started the, the Virgin Mobile Company. He, he defined it this way. He said, true success should be measured by how happy you are. So are you happy? You look at yourself, am I happy? Do I feel good? Then you've found success. Investor Warren Buffett, he said, I measure success by how many people love me. How many people love me? How many people think good of me? And if there's a lot of people that love me, then I've been successful. Uh, Microsoft founder Bill Gates, he said, success is about how it is nice to feel like you made a difference. Inventing something or raising kids or helping people in need. So if you left a legacy behind, if you made some sort of an impact or a change in the world, then you've been successful. And the New Age author Deepak Chopra said, success in life could be defined as the continued expansion of happiness and the progressive realization of worthy goals. So basically, have you established worthy goals and are you achieving those then you're successful. And again, we see that idea also, are you expanding your happiness? But is that really success? I mean, is winning or wealth or fame or happiness or love or making a difference or realizing your goals? I mean, is that really success? Is that how we would define success? I think for us, if we're gonna ask that question, what is prosperity or what is success, I think it's right for us to, to look and say, well, wait a minute, we should probably ask the creator of this universe, the sovereign ruler of this universe, what do you consider as success? And so that's what we're gonna see today in Joshua 1.8 is God explaining to Joshua, here is how you find successfulness. Here's how you find prosperity. Now, let me give you a little bit of a historical context, a historical background for Joshua at this point. And for this, we would go all the way back into Genesis 12. You go back to Genesis 12, and there's this guy named Abram. We all know him, Abraham, right? And Abram is in this foreign land and God comes to him and tells him, look, I want you to go to this other promised land and I'm gonna give you a, a multitude of children. You're gonna have so many offspring that they're gonna outnumber the stars. And so Abram goes and he settles in this, this promised land. 
time moves on. And out of his children, there's this one named Joseph. Out of his, not his direct children, but down the line. And Joseph ends up being thrown into captivity, ends up in Egypt, and he ends up rising in the government in Egypt. We know the story. And he saves his family from famine. And so his family comes to Egypt and they're able to survive through the famine and they settle in Egypt. And so then as they move through hundreds of years living in Egypt, they kind of end up in slavery in Egypt. And so they're enslaved there and they're not in the promised land and they cry out to God. And so God raises up Moses and we know that story in Exodus and God takes the people and he moves them out of Egypt, brings them out through the Red Sea and to the promised land. And Joshua is one of those people that comes out of Egypt in that Exodus. And so he's there, he sees the plagues, he sees the Passover, he sees going through the Red Sea, and then they arrive at the promised land. <clears throat> and so here we are now. And he's one of these spies that's sent into the promised land. Joshua, Caleb, and 10 other guys. They go in and they look around and they see all that there is to offer. They see the inhabitants of the land. And this is in Numbers. They come back and they report and Caleb and Joshua say, there's the land. It's ready for us. We can take this land. The other spies say, no, 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 no. There's no chance the people are too big. We can't beat these people. <clears throat> so the people rebel. And they say, no, no, we can't go into the promised land. And so God sends them into the wilderness for 40 years. And he says, none of this generation besides Caleb and Joshua are gonna go enter into the promised land. So then they go and they wander for their 40 years. And then they come back. And now they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And that's where we pick up our story today. And so Joshua has moved from being a spy, go out into the land, and now he's in this position where he's taken over for Moses. And so now he's become the commander of the Israelite nation. And he's gonna lead them into the promised land to take this land. And God starts talking to him and giving him instruction. Joshua, here's what I want from you. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to focus on in your life. And that's where we get Joshua 1.8. And Joshua 1.8 says this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So he gives us three explicit things, three explicit statements of here's what you need to do to find prosperity, to find success. And then there's also an implied instruction too. So we'll see four things today to help you achieve prosperity and success according to God. So the first thing, let's look at the implied one. So he says that the explicit ones are, I want you to speak about it, I want you to meditate on it, and I want you to do it. 
But for those three things to happen, there's the implication that you need to know God's word. How can you speak about God's word or meditate on it or do God's word if you don't know God's word? So that's the first thing is gonna be that you know God's word. And this is really what made Joshua a great leader in Israel. I mean, this was why he was able to move from being just a spy to being a commander because he knew God's word. I mean, Joshua wasn't like this great military leader or you know, particularly smart or you know, good with economics or not. I mean, he was really kind of a plotter. I mean, he was just kind of like one foot in front of the other and you just kind of keep moving. But he knew God's word. You know, this is why when he was a spy, they go into the land and he comes out, he says, yeah, we can take it. And the other spies are saying, no, there's all these huge guys and we can't beat them. And, and Joshua's like, we don't have to beat them. <clears throat> God said it was our land. God said we would take it. So obviously God's gonna do it. I know what God said. That's all I need to know. So he knew God's word. And now some of you or some people might argue and say, well, that's good for Joshua because you know Joshua was receiving direct revelation from God. I mean, here's God speaking to him. Same thing with Moses, Abram. They're receiving direct messages from God. I'm not receiving any message. I don't have fantastic dreams. I'm not seeing miracles. Uh, you know, I don't have all these spectacular things going on. But understand that that's the normative way that God works throughout history. God doesn't work in these miraculous parting the Red Sea ways throughout the, the majority of, of history. Rather, he's given God's word and has been written down for us and we're able to hear God's word through the Bible that's been passed down. 1 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And notice, Paul doesn't say that, you know, hey, the theological letters that I've written are good to equip you. You know, it's not just Romans and Colossians and Galatians that are good to study and be able to be equipped by, but it's all of Scripture. You know, that includes, you know, numbers. That includes books like Joshua. That includes Lamentations. That includes Song of Solomon. I mean, all of those are able to build you up and equip you for every good work to make you competent, it says. They're not lacking. It's not that God needs to then provide miracles or dreams or special revelation on top of what's recorded, but all of scripture is complete and has the ability to equip you. So you can hear God's word. You can know God's word through what's already been given to us. God is speaking to you through his Bible. It's authoritative and it's sufficient. So why should you know God's word? I mean, what's the motivation to study the Bible? 
Well, one, do you want to be fully equipped as a man or woman of God? I mean, do you want to be able to be equipped and competent? Well, then you have to study his word. Do you want to know what the will of God is? What is God going to do? What is his plan? What is he, what's going on? Well, you have to study his word to understand what his will is. And then also, I mean, do you want to know who Jesus is? We call ourselves Christians because we follow Christ. Do you want to know who this man Jesus is? John 14, 21, he said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, Jesus says, if you have my commandments, and what he means there is if you know, if you understand, if you have my commandments in your head and then you keep them, that is who loves me. That's who I love. That's who my father loves. That's who I'm going to come back for you want to know Jesus, you have to know your Bible. You can't know Jesus apart from your Bible. But it's not enough to just know God's word. I mean, you can fill yourself with the the head knowledge of what's in God's word. And you can understand how to parse all the verbs and nouns and, and chart all the sentences out. And if you stop there, you haven't gained anything. All you have is a bunch of head knowledge that you have to do something with. And now that's where the instruction to Joshua, the explicit instruction, starts to come into play. And the first thing he says is, don't let this depart from your mouth. So God's word should have an influence on your speech. It should be involved in all that you're saying, all that you're speaking about. You see, Joshua talked about God's word. You know, when he was a spy, he said, this is what God told us. We can take this land. Then as he moves forward and he takes over for Moses and starts leading Israel, he leads them into the promised land and they, they go to Jericho and they have the battle of Jericho Battle of Jericho. Okay, we walked around the walls. They walk around the walls of Jericho. <clears throat> and then they go, they move on from that and they go to this battle at this place called Ai. It's this little town. And it's the first time that the nation of Israel loses a battle. They lose. And then they find out that they lost because someone within their nation had sinned, had taken. Uh, gold and, and treasures, and they had hidden it, buried it underneath their tent when God said, don't do this. And so God caused them to lose this battle. So they purge that sin from their, their nation. They go back, they fight at AI again, and you know it's this exciting, compelling battle, and they win, and there's all this excitement, and right at kind of the, the pinnacle of everything, the narrative shifts in the story, it's really like this hard cutoff. And all of a sudden you go from this battle of AI and you're ripped like 20 miles away. You don't even tell how they get from this place to that place. All of a sudden 
the entire nation is like 20 miles away and they're in this valley and Joshua splits the nation up. He puts half the people on one side. He puts half the people on the other side. And then it says, this is in Joshua 9. No, I'm sorry. Joshua 8. After he splits everybody up, it says, and afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Now understand what he's talking about when he says that they read all that Moses had commanded to them. What is all that Moses had commanded to them? It's everything from... Joshua 1.1, everything before that is what Moses had commanded to them. So now imagine, now all of a sudden you're, you're split up, nation on this side, nation on that side, and you start reading at Genesis 1.1, and you read all the way through the entire first five books of the, the Bible. And this is what Joshua did. Hey, we win a battle after our first loss, what are we gonna do? We're gonna remember why we're here and we're gonna read and speak what God has told us. You see, the tongue is a wild animal, right? I mean, it's uncontrolled at times and we're told that scripture can put a rein on that tongue. God's word should be directing the counsel that you give to people God's word should be directing the discipline that you give to your children, the speeches that you give at work. I mean, everything that you say, all your conversations should be controlled and influenced by God's word. Recognize the fact that even speaking God's word, think about that nation where, where half of them are split, one on one side, one on the other side, and they're listening to God's word read to them, this was an act of worship. So are you allowing God's word to be controlling your speech? Are you speaking about it? Or is it something that you just relegate to Sundays? Uh, it's Sunday, then the rest of the week I do whatever else. And then we just come back on Sundays and we'll speak God's word again. So do you know God's word? Are you speaking God's word? And then he says, you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall meditate on it day and night. Now meditation, biblical meditation is different than what the world would consider meditation, right? So the, the world's idea of meditation is, you know, you can picture somebody in like some little pose and they got their fingers out and they're trying to empty their mind, right? He, you know, worldly meditation is you empty your mind and you try and focus yourself or, you know, self-reflect or, or, or whatever. Biblical meditation is really almost the exact opposite of that, where on one side you're trying to empty yourself. Biblical meditation is you're trying to fill yourself. Biblical meditation is where you, okay, I know God's word, and then I take God's word, and now I reflect on God's word, 
And what does it actually mean? What is the application of it? Think of it this way. You're playing a game of chess, right? So you know the rules of chess, right? So you know it, you understand it, just like you know God's word. And then you, you sit down and you start to play the game of chess. You, you move a piece uh, uh, on the board. That's like doing God's word. And now you gotta sit and wait. And the other guy's playing, and while the other guy's making his move, you're sitting there thinking about what am I gonna do next? Well, if this happens, then this could happen. You start running through all the different moves that you could do, and you're meditating on how is this gonna happen? That's meditating on scripture. You take God's word, you know it, you understand it, you've studied it, and now you start to think about how do I apply this? What impact does this have on me, on my life moving forward? Psalm 1, 1 through 2 begins the entire book of the Psalms. And it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the psalmist here contrasts meditation with listening to the counsel of the wicked, with standing in the way of the sinners, with sitting in the seat of the scoffers. So are you listening to the counsel of the world? Or are you trying to understand the counsel of Scripture, of God's Word? Martin Luther, speaking about the idea of meditation, said this. He said, I divide each biblical command into four parts, thereby fashioning a rope. And he uses the idea of a rope. And you think about a rope. You know, a rope is not just a single strand, Right? A rope is a bunch of smaller strands that are all wound together to form a larger, stronger strand. And so he says, I think of each biblical commandment as first an instruction, which is what it is really intended to be, and consider what the Lord God demands of me so earnestly. So if we take Joshua 1.8, we'll play out this exercise. Joshua 1.8, we start to meditate on it. We go, what's the instruction? Well, he says, I should speak God's word. I should meditate on God's word and I should then do God's word. Okay, so those are the, the raw instructions to me. Okay, well then the second strand, Luther says, is I turn it into a thanksgiving. Okay, so I read Joshua 1.8. Well, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, you know what? I have God's word and I'm able to know God's word. So I've been given the actual word and I've been given the ability to know the word. I've been given the ability to meditate on the word and, and listen to it and understand God's will. You can be thankful for that, that you were given something to be able to equip you. So then you can, you can be thankful for that. Third, a confession. Where am I lacking in this? You know what? Oh, I know a lot of God's word, but you know what? I haven't meditated on God's word. You know, that's one of the dangers in seminary, right? You're focused so much on studying and knowing and knowing and knowing. You gotta make that next step of then meditating on it and saying, well, wait a minute, okay, I know all that stuff, but how does it then apply in my life? You know, there are a lot of people 
that know God's word and don't ever meditate on it and never go through that extra process of applying it. In fact, there's a lot of them that know God's word better than probably any of us in this room that never then move on to do these steps of meditation and application. We would call them seminary professors, right? I mean, you go to Duke Seminary, you go to Yale Seminary, and those guys are the furthest things from Christians that you can have, but they're gonna know God's word better than I do as far as how, what the words and how they're parsed and all the grammar and all the, just the rote knowledge. So then you make the confession, God, you know what? I haven't done these extra steps. I haven't been applying it in my life. And then fourth, Luther says, you turn it into a prayer. Okay, so then how do I pray this? Okay, God, help me to know your word better. Allow your, your spirit to help me to understand this better. Help me to, to be bold in speaking your word when I have opportunities. And help me to meditate on your word and understand how to apply it in my life. And then help me to be faithful to then go do that application. You know, so you turn it into a prayer. So that's how you meditate on it. Sit down, you look at God's word and you say, okay, what's the instruction to me? How can I be thankful for this? What can I confess here? And then how can I pray it? And Luther says, this turns every biblical text into a school text, a song book, a penitential book, and a prayer book. So meditate on God's word. And then the fourth and last thing that we're told in Joshua 1.8 is that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You will do what is written in God's word. So you know God's word and then you've meditated on God's word. Well, now you gotta take the next step and you need to apply God's word. You need to start living out what you know, what you've understood, what you've meditated on, and now you have to live it out. And you know, this isn't just something that happens accidentally. You know, this is not just, okay, well, if I know God's word, I'm just gonna end up doing it. He says right here, be careful to do according. You know, this is something that takes work and effort. I mean, you need to put thought into it. Otherwise, you're gonna slip back into bad habits. You're gonna slip back into following your flesh and pursuing you know, those other sinful desires. You have to be careful. It's a constant exercise that you have to go through. It needs to be intentional. If we could look back at Psalms, if we continue reading in Psalms 1, 2, and then you hit verse three, and after he says that you know, this wise man this godly man meditates on God's word. Verse three says, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I mean, this sounds a whole lot like what Joshua is saying. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is according to written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And you read Psalm 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. He does it. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It's the same thing. Israel had a vivid illustration of following God's word and finding prosperity. The event I already spoke about with AI. They go into battle. They had no reason to think they're going to lose this battle. They lose the battle. Why'd you lose the battle? Because you weren't obedient, Israel. So as long as you're not obedient, you're not gonna prosper. If you're obedient, then you're gonna prosper. Then you're gonna find success. Which then drives us to then ask the question, well, wait a minute, what is success? And what is prosperity? So are you telling me that if I know God's word, I speak about God's word, I meditate on his word, and then I do it, that I'm gonna be rich, I'm gonna have money, I'm gonna have all these things? Is that what God means by success and prosperity? Think about Joshua. Joshua followed God's word, listened to God's word, he applied God's word. As a spy, he says, no, we gotta go do this. Israel rejects it, they go off. Joshua's been obedient. Israel's the disobedient ones. Does God take Joshua and say, hey, I appreciate your faithfulness. I'm gonna set you up in a little farm over here. Israel's gonna go get punished and you're gonna be in the little farm that I got for you and they'll be back in 40 years and, and you know, you're gonna be prosperous. No, Joshua has to go off and wander in the wilderness with the rest of them for 40 years. I mean, you think about the trials and tribulations you're going through, the last 40 years? I mean, half of you aren't even 40 years old. This guy's going through a 40-year trial for something he didn't even do. Is that success and prosperity? I mean, here he is. Well, God, the last time I did what you told me to do, I didn't find success and prosperity. I've been wandering around in the desert with these crazy people for 40 years. Think about Abraham. Abraham. You go to the promised land, I'm gonna make you successful. You're gonna have prosperity. You're gonna have so many offspring and children that you won't be able to count them. Abraham doesn't see that. He dies before he sees millions and millions of his offspring. He doesn't see that prosperity or success. You think about Job. Here's Job. He's living a good life. He's doing what God wants. And he loses everything. I mean, it's a disastrous, uh, you know, series of events that he goes through. Look into the New Testament, Paul. I mean, if you look at in the New Testament people, who's like the, the most influential people? But Jesus aside, I understand he's the right answer. But apart from Jesus, who are the most influential people? Peter, John, and Paul, right? I mean, you gotta choose one of those three. Paul you know, writes Romans and Colossians and all these theological treaties, brilliant guy, plants all these churches, brings the gospel to the Gentiles. At the end of his life, where's he at? He's in a prison and he's got no friends. He's got no earthly goods and he's facing death. 
I mean, is that success and prosperity? You know, everybody's abandoned me. All I've got is like this guy here, this Mark guy, who I already had a, a problem with once before. I don't even have a coat to wear. It's freezing cold here. I've got nothing. That's what he received for his faithfulness, for listening to God's word and meditating on it and doing it, was a prison. So, no. God's not saying that if you know my word and you do all these other things, that I'm gonna make it so that you, you, know, you have all your earthly goods and you're gonna be rich and successful and everything will be fantastic and fabulous. That's not it. That's not biblical prosperity or biblical success. Understand, biblical prosperity and biblical success is being aligned with the will of God. If you're aligned with the will of God, then you're finding prosperity and success. On top of that, you are going to receive riches and rewards. It just may not be in this life now, right? So, you know, we can throw the scale out there. You put the scale out and you take your life here on earth and put that on one side. So, you know, how long are you gonna live? I mean, let's say medicine's great and you got no, 125 years, right, at tops. Best case scenario, 125 years over here and let's say, you know, Three quarters of them are good years, right? So you get three quarters of 125 years are good years. Over on this side, you put eternity. So how much more than 125 is eternity? I mean, it's not a math problem that you can even work out. Eternity is not a number. It's infinity. It's, there's no end to it. You know, it's bigger than even the different, like a million to a billion. We think a million to a billion is like a little bit, right? A billion is just a little bit more than a million. It's not. A billion is way more than a million. And eternity is unfathomable. We can't even think about it. So eternity goes on this side. And that state of eternity, we're told, there are no bad years of it. It's all good. There's no tears. There's no wants. There's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no sickness. It's all good. So do you want your three quarters of 125 years or do you want a perfect eternity? You know, this is what you're, you're balancing the scales out of prosperity and success. That is prosperity and success. This is why Paul can sit in a prison at the end of his life facing certain death, no friends, no earthly goods, and say, yeah, I'm successful. I'm I'm prosperous. This is how Joshua could be wandering in the wilderness with an ungrateful, unthankful people for 40 years after he did what was right and still say, hey, I'm successful and prosperous because I'm aligned with the will of God. I've done what's right. I'm within his will. And if this is God's plan for right now, then so be it because God knows better than I do. So, do you know God's word? Are you sitting down? Are you studying God's word? You know, it's not just something that you can hit up on Sunday mornings. You know, it's something that you gotta work at, that you study, that you, you read through. 
Are you speaking God's word? Is it controlling your speech and the interactions that you have with people? Not just within your Christian community, but every conversation that you have. Are you meditating on his word? Are you going, okay, I understand it, I know it. Now, how does this work out in my life? And then are you going and are you living out what you've understood? That's the application that we take away from Joshua 1.8. On February 18th, 1812, shortly after he was ordained as a missionary, Adoniram Judson and his new wife, Anne, sailed away from their family and friends in America. And Judson and his wife would become missionaries in Burma. So they served for six years before they saw their first convert. There's no missionary organization today that would allow a missionary to make it six years without a single convert. Today, they'd be like, sorry, you're not successful. You're failed. You know, you need to come back and go get a job doing something else because you're not a good missionary. Judson, six years before he sees a single convert. After 12 years... So 12 years into it, they had 18 people. 18 people that became Christians. Judson would end up having two of his wives die. He had 13 children. Seven of those children died. By the time that he died, he'd been a missionary for 37 years. He translated the Bible into the Burmese language. Today, that translation is still in use. 150 years later, they're still using his translation in Burma. There were 7,000 baptized believers, 63 different churches, and 163 missionaries in Burma. You know, by human standards, we would say that the first 12 years of his ministry were not successful. 12 years, 18 people, you need to figure this out, Judson. This is not working. But the rest of his years were wildly successful. But what's the standard that we apply? Do we go, well, the first years weren't successful, but the last years were? No. It's not because of the results that we judge success according to God's word. In a speech that he gave to the American Foreign Bible Society, Judson said this, all missionary operations to be permanently successful must be based on the written word. It's gotta be based on God's word for it to be successful. You know, Judson knew God's word. He studied God's word. He knew what it said. He understood for the to be successful that the Burmese people would need to know God's word. So he devotes himself to translating it into their language. He talked about God's word. He devoted himself to preaching God's word, taking every opportunity to speak out God's word. He meditated on God's word. What does it mean in my life? Judson, as he's going to Burma, he gets on the boat to Burma. And he is a missionary for the Congregationalist Society. They practiced uh, infant baptism. By the time he lands in Burma, he gets off and he becomes a missionary for the Baptist because in his time traveling 
He's studying God's word, meditating on it, and understands, wait a minute, baptism, this is a decision that people have to make. This has to be a believer's baptism. He meditates on God's word at every opportunity. And he obeyed God's word. He recognized the need to fulfill the great commission, and it drove him to Burma. You see, he's this living embodiment of Joshua 1.8. So then, how do you measure success? Don't look to the temporal things of this world, these earthly things, as a measurement of your success. Let your success be measured in how you respond to God's word in how you align yourself with the will of God. We close in prayer. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the instruction that you give us. We're so thankful that you've sent your spirit to help us to understand, to be able to take your word, to meditate on it, to see how it applies in our life and what we can do with it Pray that you would help us to live it out, to both allow it to control our speech, to control our conversations, to control our actions, that you would establish us like a a tree by a river, that our fruit would be plentiful, that your gospel would go forth. Pray that you would be pleased with our thoughts and our heart and our actions. I pray that you would continue to work here at Cascades Bible Church and encourage them in the work that they do. Encourage them to see their success measured by your word, their success measured by their faithfulness to moving forward with your great commission of making disciples and sharing your gospel. And in Christ's name, amen. That concludes this recording. We hope you have been encouraged by the message you have heard. For more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ, additional sermon audio, or information about Cascades Bible Church, visit us online at cascadesbiblechurch.com.